Would you pray with me before we begin? Father, we come to you this morning with praise in our hearts. It is good and we are glad to adore you. You are a good God. We praise you. We honor you. Our hearts are glad in you this morning and we look forward to hearing from you. Speak now through your word. We depend on you. We would ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend us and you have befriended us. Befriend us again this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You are invited. I think that those are two of the best words in the English language because they just create excitement right off the bat. People don't write, you're invited to do something unpleasant. They don't say, you know, you're invited to come help me clean out my garage. They don't say, you're invited to cut me a check. You're invited means come do something great with me. And, and usually there's like, it's the front of the envelope or the front of the email. You know, it's Eva, you're invited. It's like, I got to click. What am I invited to? Usually it's a party. You know, what makes it even better though is when you see who the invitation is from. Let me illustrate this for you, okay? Let's take Pastor Jeremy. Visitors, Pastor Jeremy is from Cleveland. And Pastor Jeremy is the son of a great Cleveland Cavaliers fan. And let's just say he takes after his dad. He thinks of LeBron James not just as the MVP, but as King James. You know, those of us, I, you know what I'm talking about. Those of us on the church email list this week, you saw it. He sent an email that said, I didn't respond all year, but I think now it's fitting to say you, you knew something was coming at that point. The Cavs are the best team in the NBA! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Check the scoreboard! Exclamation point, exclamation point. We have the real MVP! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And you know what the funny part is? He's glad I'm saying this right now. Because he's glad you're all reminded of all of everything I just said. He's now thinking about the scoreboard again. Now, imagine Pastor Jeremy got an invitation to Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Seats in the super box, free food, t-shirt, the whole deal. Pretty sweet invitation. Now, imagine something else. Imagine the invitation came from King James. Jeremy LeBron said, I want you to be my personal guest at Game 7. Sit next to me at the end of the bench. We're going to get a selfie at the end when I am the MVP. And LeBron would say he's going to be the MVP even before he was. Sometimes he'd be right, sometimes he'd be wrong. I'm guessing Jeremy wouldn't sleep too much before that game. You know, but I'm the last one who should be picking on Jeremy. Growing up in Philly, I loved basketball, and I had a fantasy. Now, this is a little embarrassing, but I had a fantasy. I, I would play in the driveway all the time, and my favorite player was Dr. J. I had a poster of Dr. J on my wall, finger roll, short shorts. You know, it was like the, the 80s, the short shorts. 
And I would imagine when I was practicing, Dr. J driving by in his limo. Now note, he wasn't driving his own car in my fantasy. He had a limo, of course, because the, the doctor didn't drive himself. And, and he would notice this kid with moves. And he would say, stop the limo. I'm not kidding. This is, the, this is the fantasy. And he would get out. And he would, and he would play with me. And we would, he would do his moves. He would do, he would do his windmill. And then he would do his finger roll. And then he'd be like, let me see your moves. That, would be, that to me was the best possible invitation I could imagine. What kind of invitation would get you most excited this morning? Is there a singer you'd like to have a concert and, and bring you backstage? A party you'd like to be invited to? Maybe, maybe an actor you'd like to have you bring, on the, bring you on the set? Maybe there's a man you'd love to have invite you on a date. I'm going to speak to the moms and the caregivers. Maybe there's an invitation to an all-expense-paid spa with someone taking care of the kids or that person you normally care for, how would that invitation feel in arriving in the mail? This morning, I have an invitation for you that's better than all of those. It's a personal invitation from God himself. And it's, invita- it's an invitation to get excited about an event that is better than any Game 7, sorry Jeremy, or party or vacation you can imagine. The event is not here yet, but it is coming. And we are invited to start the music. Please turn with me to Psalm 96. Or, if you don't have a Bible, uh, did we already say this? Uh, will, the Bible will be brought with you, brought to you, so raise your hand if you need a Bible. Uh, otherwise, you can turn your Bible on. As we turn, I want to talk a little bit about how to read a psalm. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we are starting a series on the psalms. And we need to think about how to read a psalm well. First, you've got to remember, we're reading, when we turn to Psalm 96, we are reading a song. It's an, it, I said you're going to get an invitation. It's an invitation in song. The thing is, there's no music and there's no rhyme. We think of songs, we think of music and rhyme. But it doesn't have either of those. But we still need to remember that these, this is a song. You know, um, I think the way to think of it is that God, because he could have inspired the music, we could have to use the music he gave us, but he didn't do that. He gave us the words. So I think the way we need to think about it is that with the Psalms, the music is in the words. Okay? The music is in the words. The other thing I want us to remember when we think about these being songs is how did Hebrews put music in the words? Jews, that is. How did they put music in the words? What kind of poetry did they use? They used a device called parallelism. Just a fancy word for saying the same thing, usually the same, or or sometimes a different thing, but two different ways. And drawing a contrast or drawing a comparison between them by saying the same thing. Or, or using a variation. So let me give you an example. I'll show you what, what I mean by this. Psalm 119. You can find this all over the Psalms, all over the song we're going to sing this morning. I mean, uh, preach this morning. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
statutes and word. Now, some of us as Christians puzzle over that. Well, what's the difference between a statute and a word? And that can be helpful a little bit. But the key is, remember, they're both pointing to the same thing. The emphasis here is not on the difference between statutes and words. The emphasis is on their commonality. This is God's written instruction to us. So let's not get bogged down in thinking about all these distinctions when really the psalmist is making the same point over and over a different way to give us a big overall picture. So that's one. Remember their song. Second, remember they're focused on temple worship. We're going to be reading a golden oldie this morning. I mean, this is a 3,000 word, 3,000 year old song. Okay? It was a different era in salvation history. That is important because so much of the psalms focuses on the temple. What went on in the temple? The Ark of the Covenant was there. It was an ornate box where God's presence was. You came to the temple to worship God through sacrifices, through incense. That is not how it is today. It's different after Jesus. That's not how we worship God. Why does this matter? Well, uh, God is not present with us in in an ark today. We don't have an ark here in the building. This is not a sanctuary. This is an auditorium. And D.C. is not Jerusalem. Okay? So we're not drawing all contrast with the Psalms, but we need to remember there's some contrast. So when the song that we read this morning urges us to sing, and it's going to urge us to sing, when it urges us to sing, we don't assume we should sing as a church because the psalm says so. Any more than if the psalm said, offer sacrifices, that we would have to bring animals in and offer sacrifices. We sing because we're commanded to in Ephesians and Colossians. You see, those books were written for the church. So a psalm may apply to church gatherings. The question is, how do we know? Do we see it in the New Testament? With singing, we do. So the psalm this morning is wonderful for Christians as a church to think about and read and understand. And as I said, I think Amos has already helped us and the brothers have already helped us to do what we're going to see in this psalm. So that's the second thing. Remember they were focused on temple worship. Not everything applies. Third, remember that they're arranged. Not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the psalms are not 150 books just thrown randomly together. There are five books of the psalms. First three books, chapters 1 to 41, 42 to 72, 73 to 89, they trace God's covenant with David and with the kings after him. Psalms are all about the kings, all about David and the kings that come after him. Okay? And so when we read the Psalms, the first three books are about the Davidic kings and the fall of those kings. In Psalm 89, ending of the third book, ends with the king's crown in the dust. We're reading Psalm 96 that comes after that. What are the Psalms going to say after the king's crown winds up in the dust? The Psalms after Psalm 89 point to, generally to, a coming kingdom. A coming king who will be like David but much greater than David. We are to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. So, that's why I say the song this morning is an invitation. It is an invitation to look forward to the, with excitement to the coming of Christ who will reign on earth over everyone and everything. This is the event. I was talking about getting an invitation. This is the event to end all events. This is the party to end all parties. And the question is what we should do about it. And it's very simple. This is a one-point sermon. I'm going to cheat on that. I'm going to give you a few points underneath it. But it's a one-point sermon. Sing to the coming king. 
That's it. Someone asked you afterwards today, what was the sermon about? Sing to the coming king. That's it. Everything else is, in a sense, details. So let's read Psalm 96 together. And let's uh, see how we are to sing to the king. We'll have, I, I said I'm going to have a few points, a few, four points to explain how to sing to the king, okay? Psalm 96, read with me. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Praise the Lord. This song, by the way, starts out singing a new song. It's actually an old song. David sang it when the ark came into Jerusalem. We'll, we'll return to this. But this is a song that itself has been borrowed. Uh, and so we, you see it in First Chronicles 16, if it sounds familiar to you. So how do you uh, sing to the king? Sing to the king who's coming. Four things. I want, to, I want us to hear four parts of this invitation. You ready? If you're taking notes, these are real simple. You can get them down. Who's the king? We're going to look at who's the king. What do we sing? When do we sing? And who gets to sing? I blew through those. I'm going to go through them again. Who's the king? We're going to sing to the king. We've got to know who we're singing to. He is the star of this, this song. What do we sing? When do we get to sing? And who gets to sing? So let's talk about this king. Who is this king? The, the main thing, if you want to understand the theme of this song, you're going to see a lot about nations and you're going to see a lot about singing. But the key word in this psalm is L-O-R-D. Just scan your eyes down the, pa- the page. It's all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And you may be saying, well, I thought you said this was a song about a king and it says Lord. Well, look at the words that it uses to describe this Lord. Verse 3, glory. Declare his glory. Verse 4, he is great. Verse 6, splendor and majesty. Verse 6, strength and beauty. Verse 10, the Lord reigns. Verses 10 and verse 13, he will judge. And in Israel, a judge, remember Gibeon? I mean, Gideon, Samson, these are the supreme rulers of the time. It's not just a judge with a robe. 
doing cases, okay? So this is a great king. The Lord is king. It's obviously a king we're talking about. But what do we know about this king who's coming? What do we know about this Lord? Two things. He is and he reigns. What do I mean he is? What is look at what the king is called here. He's called the Lord. This word is repeated over and over. As I said, it's, it's all through the psalm. He's the star of the song. It sounds like a title, the Lord of the realm. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. His name is not the Lord, if you mean that like Mr. President. Okay, that's not what he's saying. Lord in Hebrew is a personal name. It's like Peter. You know, it's like Nile is a personal name. The word is Yahweh. Exodus says, he told Moses, Yahweh, this is my personal name. Excuse me, this is my name forever. Yahweh, stick with me on this. This is really important. You want your Old Testament? You want to put on 3D glasses when you read your Old Testament? Listen to this. Yahweh is related to the verb, I am. When he says, call me Yahweh, he's really saying, in a sense, call me, I am. Don't call me God. Call me by my first name. And God doesn't have a last name because he has no father, right? Call me, I am. I always was. I always will be. I want us to then look down at verse 5 and, and look at the contrast between the alternatives to this. What does it say? The gods of the peoples are worthless idols. You could say the real, literal meaning of this is nothings. So what do we have? We have I am versus I am not. Except they can't say I am not because they ain't. Okay? So what we, we need to see here is instead of worthless nothings, we are invited to sing to the king who is Yahweh, who is I am, who is the God of Israel. And this is an intimate thing that God would give us his personal name. I, I mentioned the president. Imagine meeting the president and he said, you know, I want you to uh, not call me Mr. President. I want you to call me Barack. I want you to, I'm going to give you my text number and I want you to uh, cell number. I want you to, to feel free to text me anytime. That would be a privilege. That would be a privilege. Um, God uses this name. He loves this name so much. It appears over 5,000 times in the Old Testament. Over 700 times in the book of Psalms. Yahweh is what he wants to be called by Israel. So that's why in verses 2 and verses 8, it is a special personal name. And he says, I want you to bless his name. Not bless Lord as a title. Bless the personal name of Yahweh. Verse 8, ascribe to Yahweh the glory due his name. His personal name. Now, you may think that's pretty good. And it's pretty good. But it gets better. What could we add to the name Yahweh that would make it better? How about Yahweh saves? That's what Jesus means. Yahweh saves. Jesus' very name draws a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Yahweh saves. So when we read our psalm, we can read, Lord Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And we can say, oh, sing to Yahweh a new song. And that's right. We can also say, sing to Jesus a new song. 
because all of the promises of the Old Testament are yes in Christ. So this psalm is also about Christ. And I want to make it even more precious to you. I talked about 3D glasses. I think with Jesus, we put on some 4D glasses. Yahweh saves. How about some 5D glasses? There's another name more precious than Yahweh that Jesus gave us. Did he say when he told us to pray, our Yahweh who art in heaven? What did he say? Our Father who art in heaven. What if the president said to you, don't call me Barack, call me dad? Oh, well, that's a whole new level of intimacy. That is what Christ has purchased for us. That is what this psalm is about. Why should we sing to the king? Because it's our father who's coming. It's our father. This psalm is so excited because it's not just any king. Ah, we don't know whether he'll be good. We'll give him four years. If he's really good, another four years and then over. No, this is our father, our perfect father, who we want to reign over us forever. So, friends, this is how Christians read the Psalms. This is the star of this Psalm. This is the point of this Psalm. This is why we sing. It is natural to praise what we love. We do it with restaurants. We do it with, with uh, athletes. Most of all, we do it with our God. We love to praise him. We can't help but praise him. We want to sing to him. He is also the God who reigns. He is also the God who reigns. So he is the God who is king. The God who is. He's also the God who reigns. He has all the trappings of reigning. Look at verse 6. Verse 8, come into his courts. See, this is a king. <laughs> Let's just take a second here. Uh, do you want us to switch to a handheld? Do you want us to go to a handheld? It's all right. Just, just keep it on. And we're good? He reigns. He is, and he reigns. So that's that's the other thing we need to know about this king. How does he reign? Well, look with me at verse 5. It says he made the heavens. Okay, we're going to look at three ways he reigns real quick, just so you know where I'm going. He reigns by making, he reigns by saving, and he reigns by judging. Okay, he reigns by making. The Lord Yahweh made the heavens. You know, we can't see the heavens from our neighborhood at night. I mean, really see the heavens. You might see a star or two where we live, but you can't see the heavens. A study recently showed the Milky Way is is hidden and hidden from 80% of North Americans. That is a praising problem because the Lord made the heavens and we can't see them. Google Milky Way. It is sad that we have to Google Milky Way. It has been 20 years I mean this, 20 years since I saw the Milky Way that was not a candy bar. (laughs) And, And I think this is significant because when our readers read this psalm, they saw the sky at night. There were no lights. There was no electricity. 
They praised Yahweh because he made the heavens, and we can't see it. I did a little bit of research. Do you know how many stars there are in the Milky Way? Trouble counting them, okay? Trouble counting them. Estimates, at least 100 billion. Maybe up to 400 billion. Now, here's the real question. How many galaxies are there? Well, we're limited in what we can see. Estimates? A hundred billion. A billion is a thousand millions. So we're talking about being in a galaxy with a thousand million stars that's part of a, of a, a universe with a thousand million galaxies. I, I can't do the math. We serve a great God. We serve a great God. And he, as we read this morning, Scripture says he determines the number of the stars and he gives them each a name. How do you know? I, I have four kids. We, you know, had some challenges with the names. I don't know how he names them all. He also reigns by saving. Verse 2 says, tell of his salvation. Verse 3, declare his glory among the peoples, his marvelous works among the nations. Yahweh does save with marvelous works. When you read the Psalms, he's talking about rescue from Egypt. It doesn't say it here, but that's all throughout the Psalms. The marvelous, mighty works of God for those in, the, in this time where God's rescue from bondage in Egypt, parting of the Red Sea, victory over Israel's enemies, taking the promised land. These are mighty works. And he saves his people, Jews and Gentiles, out of bondage from sin. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. He also reigns by judging. Won't spend a lot of time on this. I've already pointed out judges were supreme rulers. He will reign in righteousness and equity, not just deciding cases. He will set everything right. When it says the world in verse 10, the world uh, is established, it can never be moved. I think that means that his kingdom will never fail. His kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven, and it will not be shaken. It will be a kingdom that cannot fly apart like the EU. It is going to be settled and fixed and established and not moved. So that's the king. What, who do we sing to? We sing to the king. We sing to the king who is and who reigns. What do we sing to this king? I want to talk about some songs. I said we're going to talk about singing. Let's talk about singing. I want us to notice four things about this song that we're invited to sing. Number one, it's a new song. It's a new song. This fits with Ephesians and Colossians, which say to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think that suggests a variety of old and new. Well, that makes sense. Old songs can get stale. I got a question for you. Have you ever sung a song that invited your pet to praise the Lord? Yes, you have. Praise him, all creatures here below. Is Muffy a creature? Yeah. Then you sung so that Muffy would praise the Lord. All creatures here below. That's the doxology. I got to thinking about the doxology this week. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. You know, I always thought that was angels. And then I got to thinking, maybe it's talking about the stars. Maybe it's about the stars praising him. You see my point? Old songs can get too familiar. We just sing them. We don't think about the words anymore. New songs strike us in new ways. 
But does this mean we have to sing a new song when we gather every week? I don't think so. First of all, as I said, Psalm 96 itself is sampled from David's song in 1 Chronicles 16. It's a remix. There's some tweaks here. There is no problem with that. There is no problem with remixing God's music, God's songs. When we sing to God, we're always sampling his songs. Always, all the time. It's be like a, a, a child saying, well, I've got to come up with my own new language. Our Father teaches us how to sing. All the words we know come from him. All of our songs come from him. All speech is answering speech, as one person put it. God is the original singer. All these songs are his, so borrow away. Second of all, even songs that are old to us are new in salvation history. Not all of them, but many of them are new. Think about A Mighty Fortress, for example. It's written in the 1500s. That's a long time ago. But it's 2,500 years after David wrote it. David would be like, I got, think that's got to spend some time on the charts before I'm going to call it an oldie, right? Because to, to David, it's, it's been way after him. It's way after Christ. It's a new song, A Mighty Fortress. I know it comes from a psalm. Someone's going to come talk to me after the church about how it's actually a psalm and it's old. But um, you see my point. Every song written after Jesus, in a sense, is a new song because it comes in the new covenant. Okay, so when it says in verses two and three, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. What is he singing about? Like I said, he's singing about rescue from bondage in Israel. He's talking about creation. We talked about that. He's talking about rescue from from bondage in Israel for, for the Jews. But I think when he says to sing a new song, he's talking, he's looking forward to Christ and songs that talk about the salvation of Christ. What are some marvelous works that God did after this song was written? I'll give you one. God sent his son into the world. There's a marvelous work. We need some songs about that. You know, I know someone who was saved through Christmas carols. She was converted. She grew up in a non-Christian home, but she heard the good news in Christmas carols and she believed it. That's a new song. Those are new songs. Um, also, uh, what else did Jesus do? He didn't just come. He lived a perfect life. Perfect life. Honoring, always honoring to his father. And then he died a death as a sacrifice on a cross, which is just two pieces of wood nailed together. He was nailed to a cross as a sacrifice to end all the sacrifices we were just talking about. The final sacrifice was given. And he says, if you would turn to me and accept me as your sacrifice on your behalf, then you'll be right with God. Turn away from sin. Turn away from every other way you could possibly think about making yourself right with God. Repent of all of that. It'll never work. They're worthless idols. They're nothings. Turn to me. Turn to Yahweh saves. I urge you, if you have not done that, you should do that this morning. You should turn to Christ. You should believe in him and he will save you. And he will put a new song on your lips. He gives us new songs because he has done new things in the new covenant. How do I know this? Let me give you a text that will prove this to you. We read it this morning in Revelation 5. I won't read the whole thing. It says, in heaven, they sang a new song. And what was the song? Worthy are you, 
For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The new song is about the slain Lamb of God. Praise the Lord. We have a new song to sing. We can sing truly new songs. We can sing remixes, and we can sing songs about Jesus. We should also sing a great song. I love this sentence. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. That is logic. The Lord is great, so give him half-hearted, lukewarm, throwaway prayers and praises. No! He's great, so greatly he should be praised. One of the old writers said this way, said it this way, praise should be proportionate to its object, therefore let it be infinite when rendered to the Lord. Bingo, bingo, let it be infinite when rendered to the Lord. We don't hold anything back. Amos, brother, I think this is why one reason why I want to hear you sing and lead us, uh, that I think you do such a good job, is that, is that you're not, you don't have a, a sense of restraint. There's no self-consciousness there. And I want to thank the Lord for that. Uh, it creates a kind of serenity in our singing that is an honor to the Lord. Um, the psalm that we um, are reading this morning is a great uh, example of this. You see how unselfconscious it is. All the exclamation points. I mean, it's like Jeremy's email. It's like, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord. Don't miss that. There is an excitement here. There's steak, but there's also sizzle in this psalm. I mean, it is, it is popping. It has a current in it. We live in a culture that is so dependent on alcohol to let us cut loose. Oh, brothers and sisters, may that never be true of us. We do not need that. I'm not preaching a, song, a sermon against drinking. I'm talking about, that's a different conversation. What I'm talking about is using alcohol as a, uh, needing it to be uninhibited, especially before the Lord. What does scripture say? Do not be drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our song should be new, it should be great, it should be wholehearted, it should also be true. It should also be true should be a true song. Notice in the psalm, there is no distinction between the praise, the praising, and the preaching. Just scan your eyes down with me down the page. Verses 1 and 2, sing, sing, sing. Verse 3, declare. Verse 4, praise. Verses 7 and 8, ascribe. Verse 10, say. Verse 11, rejoice. Verse 11, roar. Verse 12, exult. Verse 12, back to sing. Trees are singing. This is parallelism. Remember we talked about parallelism? All of these are pointing to praising. Friends, beware praising that does not preach and preaching that does not praise. You can dress up meaningless words in moving music. Someone said the hallelujah chorus could be called the halibut chorus and it would still move people. Because the music's so great. By the same token, all of our preaching should praise God. Oh, in proclaiming the gospel, may we never lose our sense of the music of the gospel. All our melodies should carry truth, and all of our truth should carry a melody. A real song. It's the last, last type of song. So we've got a new song, 
a great song, a true song, it's also got to be a real song. What do I mean by that? It's not fake. We're not faking it. It's backed up by how we live. Where do I see this? Verses 8 and 9, we bring an offering. We worship. We tremble. We prove with our lives the truth of the song. We open our hearts, our resources, our time, our abilities, our money, whatever we have. But we're not perfect. So how in verse 9 can we worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness? You know, that phrase always perplexed me. Whose holiness is it? Well, it's God's holiness. But holiness is terrible if we're not, if we're not, uh, if we're in our sin. So how do we worship God in the splendor of his holiness? Some of you, if you have an ESV Bible, look down, it says, in holy attire. I think this is pointing to the righteousness of Christ. How do we worship God in the splendor of holiness? We approach him in the righteousness of Christ. So it's a, this is a song that is real and that we can sing with our whole hearts because we don't approach God with fake robes of self-righteousness. If you come this morning and you think you got it figured out, or you think that coming this morning made you right with God, or you think how you didn't do something this week made you right with God, then you should tremble. <laughs> uh, you don't come to him in the splendor of his holiness. We can only come in the splendor of his holiness if we come in the righteousness of Christ. That's a real song. That's a liberated song. That's a free song. So we sing to the king. We sing a new song, a great song, a true song, a real song. When do we sing? Verse 2, tell of his salvation from day to day. Every day of the week, not just Sunday. Even in trouble, even in trouble. We may be, Paul says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Think about Paul and Silas in jail. What were they doing at midnight? They were singing praises to the Lord. They were singing songs to him. I don't want to minimize anyone's sadness this morning. A lot of us come with burdens. And sometimes our, this song, like Psalm 96, can be discouraging because we think that's not how I feel. Sometimes our, our great songs, our new songs, our excited songs, looking forward to Christ, are mixed. We're sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That's okay. That's part of this picture. This is why we were saved, brothers and sisters, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we sing these excellencies all week. I would encourage us that our, our homes be full of the music of praise to God. Do you have any praise songs or hymns on your play, playlist? Just a question for you. I think this psalmist, if he had an uh, a iPhone or whatever, you know, Spotify, he would have had some praise songs on there. I'm not making that a, a legal rule. I'm not going to say you're in sin if you don't. I'm just going to say I think it's encouraged that all week long we'd be praising the Lord. So we sing every day. We look forward, though, to that day, and I want you to see the momentum of this song. It is not just about singing today. Look how the verbs change. Verses 1 to 6, it's about what Yahweh is doing and what are the splendors of his reign. But verse 10 says he will judge the peoples, and verse 13 says he will judge. So I, I think like this song, our, our music, our praise should lean forward into the coming of Christ. Which It's going to be the happiest day in history. How can we not look forward to it? How much sin have we committed because we were unwilling to wait for this day? How many blowout parties have tried and failed to create this joy? 
How many substances have been used to generate a high that can only be known when the king comes back and sets everything right? How many promises have been made by politicians to get people to believe that this could be achieved without the return of the king? I am not saying not to throw parties. I'm not saying not to work for change. God forbid that we would be inactive waiting for him. But the song will only reach this pitch of excitement when everything is set right, and that will only happen when the king returns. So we sing to the king. We sing every day, and we look forward to that day. Lastly, who sings to him? Who sings to this king? Well, I don't think you should be surprised at the answer to this. Based on everything we've said, this is a, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. So we better have some numbers. And we've got numbers in this song. Everyone should sing to the Lord. This is not a private song. It has to be spread. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. Verse 7, ascribe to Yahweh, O families of the peoples, ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The song moves from the beginning in praise to proclamation. That's how it works. Singing to God leads to singing of God. If you don't find yourself singing of God, ask yourself, are you singing to him? Question for you. Are you trying to scold yourself into evangelism? How's that working out for you? May I suggest that you try delighting yourself into evangelism? Tell me exactly how you're going to guilt yourself into preaching the gospel of grace. My friend and mentor, a man named John Eichema, he's almost 90 years old. This is a hero to me. This man lives revved up for God. He has had a hard life. His wife suffered from chronic illness. She's passed away. His son's wife left him. John has faced serious difficulties in his church over and over again through a period of years. But he is always about ready to laugh with delight in God. He is an evangelist because his joy is bubbling over. He would evangelize the wallpaper. God is so good, so delightful that John cannot help but speak of him. All you have to say to him, if you want to get him going, just say the Lord and he'll just start giggling. Peter, brother, I think you're a lot like this. I, I love your infectious just joy in the Lord and how it doesn't take much. It really doesn't take much and it is a blessing to the whole church the way that you are infectiously joyful in the Lord. I think that's the kind of attitude that we have that will lead us to proclaim his glory to the nations. We cannot help but speak of him. Listen to how John Piper puts it. This is good. Worship is the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. Why? Because you can't commend what you don't cherish. Where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. Churches that are not centered on the exaltation of the majesty and beauty of God will scarcely kindle a fervent desire to declare his glory among the nations. Psalm 96. Ah, A-R-C. If we want to spread the glory of God from the four corners of this block to the four corners of the globe, we need to immerse ourselves in God himself. 
knowing him, loving him, cherishing him, delighting in him so that we cannot help but declare his glory to others. To so cherish him that we find ourselves singing of him. And that starts right here in this neighborhood. Our neighbors are part of the nations. This is not a Jewish neighborhood. These friends, and that's what the context of this psalm is. It's the Jews and then the nations. We live among the nations. These friends are part of the nations. All over this city, there are people from among the nations who need to hear the gospel. Here's a fact. If you drive to Springfield, Virginia, you'll find the second largest Afghan population in the United States. Springfield, Virginia. You don't have to go to Afghanistan to meet Afghans. They're right here. The nations came to us. If we are excited to tell the nations of our God, let's find them nearby and tell them. Thank you, Brother Jahil, for sending out your emails about unreached peoples. I encourage all of us to view those as an opportunity to pray and, and praise God and ask God to spread his glory among the nations. Who should sing to God? Everyone should sing to God. And that's not quite enough. Everything will sing to God. Everything should sing to God. The heart that delights in the coming of the king wants all creation to join the song. And that includes, I think you need to just make sure you hear this, plants and animals. I made a joke about dogs earlier. That was not a throwaway joke. I don't know exactly what this psalm means when it talks about the sea roaring in praise of God. I don't know what it means exactly about the tree singing. Some people will say this is an analogy. That's fine. What's it analogizing to? If they don't sing, then how is it like singing? I'm going to be impressed to see that when all of creation is released to praise God. What is the problem in creation right now? Scripture says creation is groaning. It is groaning. What's, what's the problem? It's in bondage to decay. Endless cycles of death. Everything dies. You've never seen a flower that will not die. You've never seen a dog that will not die. You've never seen a cat that will not die. The, but the brutal reign of death will be broken. The dying will end and the creation will praise God. This psalm teaches us that salvation is not merely spiritual. I want us to hear this. We are in a family of churches that rightly prizes and praises God for the salvation he earned in forgiving us from sin. And that is right. But the gospel would not be good news without a new creation. We would be trapped in an old creation, sentenced to death. If Christ is not raised, the curse is still on and death wins. But death does not win. God wins and he will make all things new, including our bodies, including this whole world. So if you ask me, what is the good news? I'm going to use a line from a friend of mine. He says, the good news is salvation from sin and all of its effects. Ooh, that's an important phrase on the end. All of its effects. How does it go in joy to the world? He comes to make his blessings flow. Aaron's got it. Far as the curse is found. Every atom of the universe that is locked in bondage to endless cycles of decay and futility will be unlocked from its bondage when Christ returns. As far as the curse is found, the curse will be revoked. 
So we don't just say, let the nations be glad. We say, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Can you imagine the noise when all creation lets loose in praise? Can you imagine when the heavens themselves, we sing to God who's above the heavens, and imagine the heavens praising God. When the sea roars in praise of God, you can't even imagine what it would be like for the sea to praise God. All creation, sea, field, sky, all the creatures praising God, all the plants everywhere, except weeds, thorns and thistles are out. Kale is out. See that, Deb? I got that in there. That is a whole new level of praise service. We have never been to a praise service like this. You know, I'm back on Deb, but some, Deb likes to say, somebody hold my mule, I'm going to get my praise on. You know when she says that? You know what's going to happen, Deb, on that last day? The mule's going to say, you don't touch me, i got to get my praise on too. <laughs> I want to offer in closing, uh, we'll close in a minute, but on this point about the creation praising God, a word to those of us who care about the environment, that should be all of us. Okay, We are stewards of creation, which we were instructed by God to work and to keep. And we will give an account for that. That is a reason, a great reason, really all the reason we need to care about how we treat the planet. That is right. But don't believe the, the lie that the biggest problem for the trees is our carbon footprint. That is not the biggest problem. If you eliminated all fossil fuels tomorrow, you would not have paradise. The trees would not sing. They would still groan and they would still die. You still need the king to come and undo the curse. Only Yahweh can move the creation from groaning to singing. Praise the Lord that he will do that. So there you have the invitation. I've given you the invitation the best invitation I could possibly give you that you could imagine. Sing with me, the text says. Sing, sing, sing. Sing a new song. Sing a great song. Sing a true song. Sing a real song to the coming king who is, I am, and who reigns. Who is this king? It's Yahweh, who Jesus has made our father. Sing with me now. Sing every day and sing with me then when he will come and put everything right. Sing among the nations and sing to creation. For he comes, he comes, and all will be well. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what can we say? We are so amazed at your promises. What insight we have here into what you are going to do. How we look forward to the coming of your kingdom. We pray with your son, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, come, father. Send your son to undo the curse and to make everything right. And until he does, fill our hearts with praise to you. Help us to delight in you, to see you, and to sing to you among all nations, among all creatures, 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.